It is the Boiler Basketball Show on 1017 The Hammer, 1017thehammer.com. Jared Jessalitis alongside Jeff Julik. We are here uh, for a uh, full hour of airtime to talk to you uh, all about uh, Boilermaker Basketball. Of course, you can always uh, download this in podcast form on iTunes and Spotify. If you miss out on it, we appreciate you going back and uh, downloading, subscribing, and rating. We only got a few more of these bad boys, too, because the season's almost over. Man, how the season has flown by. Well, I don't know if you were aware of this, Jeff, but um, Tuesday, the Boilers played a game against a, a team uh, down in Bloomington, Indiana. Apparently, they field a basketball team down there. Never heard of these Hoosiers before, but uh, apparently, they have a basketball team. Purdue played them, and it was about the ugliest darn thing you ever did see. You know, I'd heard that such an event occurred on Tuesday. <laughs> I didn't know if that was the truth or not. You really can't believe everything you read these days, you know, <laughs> box scores and everything. But a truly appalling game for the basketball purists. 48-46, to Purdue wins thanks to the Isaac Haas tip-in. Uh, both these teams shot the ball horrendously, Purdue at 31%. Indiana at uh, 27% on the game. Um, and just, boy, w- what can you say about this thing? It felt like an 8-0 run was a dagger at one point, didn't it? I mean, nobody was hitting anything in this one. What you can say, it was a beautiful game because the Boilermakers got the victory. And so, you know, whenever you go down to Bloomington, you're able to get that win. And I'll tell you what, you're just seeing a lot of that in the Big Ten right now. I mean, the other night, the Ohio State-Northwestern game was 24-20 at halftime. And, you know, last night, the Minnesota-Michigan game, I think, was like 28-22 to at halftime. So just a lot of low-scoring games right now. And, you know, the thing in that game is both teams were very emotional. Uh, you know, IU played as about as hard as they had played all season. And the Boilermakers' defense was outstanding. I mean, the job that they did on, on Romeo, especially the second half, was just incredible. And no gel basically not allow him to get any shots off. Um, you know, the, this basketball team was struggling offensively, but, you know, obviously came through when they needed to with a couple uh, key baskets by Carson Edwards down the stretch and that big Ryan Klein three that, the basketball gods tipped in for us, and uh, and then obviously Matt Harms uh, sending a final message to the uh, students and fans at IU with that tip in. Yeah, Carson Edwards, 0 of 10 from uh, behind the arc, just 4 of 24 on the night. He has the missed dunk. It was just one of those nights. It is clearly was not Carson Edwards' nice, and he, and he tried. I mean, he really tried to just get that shot, especially from behind the arc in. I know Dan Dockage on the broadcast was a little bit hard on him for the shot selection. I think we're kind of used to it at this point. I think uh, from him shooting, you know, he'll he'll shoot it from probably just go right down the court, uh, an extremely long three that'll get kind of chucked up. It's a momentum changing kind of shot that he wants. And um, we talked about this a little bit earlier on uh, on my morning show. Was it's kind of the price that you pay for Carson Edwards? That's a shot that just does Matt Painter happy when he goes down there and shoots that three? Uh, I I don't know. As long as he's reading the room and. He, because if he hits the shot, that's absolutely huge. It's a huge momentum boost and everything. So if it's in the right situation, I really don't have that big of a problem with him taking it. We know sometimes uh, that long three is the only open shot the, the young man gets. And, you know, it was one of those kind of games where you know he's going to hit a few of those, and he just didn't. And some of the shots, um, unfortunately, the team can't get open at times. And you see this happen numerous times where the defense is just outstanding. Nobody gets open, and if you've got three or four seconds left on the shot clock, you want the ball in Carson Edwards' hands because he's got the best chance of of putting up that contested shot and making it 
as opposed to anybody else on the team, unless you've got Williams with the ball down low or somebody else down low. So, you know, many times when when they're not moving well, they're not getting open, Carson is forced to take these shots, and people say, well, he's forcing up the shots. Well, it's either force up the shot or take a shot clock violation. So, yeah, I agree with you. I have no issue with him with the amount of shots he takes because of the fact that he's only one made shot away from starting a streak, and you saw what he could do, especially at the beginning of the Penn State game a couple weeks ago where he made his first, what, five three-pointers. I mean, that happens. And so, uh, and, and not to mention, he just draws so much attention. Uh, you know, he's being double teamed, and that opens up so many opportunities for your Grady Eiferts and, and uh, those kind of things. And, and I think teams are also concentrating on Ryan Klein a lot more. I mean, he's having to take some really difficult shots, and fortunately for the Boilermakers, he's been making them. Do you still feel, you know what, let me, let me, let me delay that question for a little bit here. Okay. Let me ask you this, though. Travian Williams, I know he's been sick. He's coming off the strep throat and everything. But you take a look at his stat lines from the last five games. And, I mean, the, the Nebraska game was the, the first one in that. And he, eh, not great. I mean, he's just not scoring at the tick that you had seen him for. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, 15, 16 points was the average for him. Now, over the last, what, like four games, I think he has uh, probably about 14 points. It's not been good. The foul trouble's been an issue with it. I know the illness has been with it, though. But are you, sir? I'm, I'm getting a little, a little bit concerned. Not overly, but a little bit concerned. It's something I want to watch for in this Nebraska game tomorrow. That's for sure. I think it's a combination of everything. I mean, uh, as you get to this point in the season, you've been scouted really well. So you know, all of a sudden, and you brought this up, you know, coming out of the Notre Dame game, that obviously Notre Dame was not not preparing him in the scouting report, and. Um, you got that going for you. I also think the 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 issue is I think he is a he's like most freshmen. He's kind of hit a wall at this point. You know, he's spending a lot of time and effort on his body. I mean, he spends thirty minutes after each game doing all the the cardiovascular and those kind of things. Uh, and another issue is is that um, you know I, I think we've got to continue. I think he lacks a little confidence when he doesn't start. You know, I think when he's the starter, he has that, you know, introduction. And, mm-hmm. and I think that gets him going more uh, than, and, and I think Matt has played better off the bench, but with his illness, they've had to flip that as well. But, you know, we need to get him back in form and we definitely need to get him back in form for the NCAA tournament when he's going to be playing teams that have not seen him, have not had a chance to play against him before. You know, obviously Nebraska's played against him once already. So, yeah, yeah, let's get him going because Purdue is such a better team when they've got that low post production from Williams. More important to get going here against Nebraska on Saturday, Carson Edwards or Travian Williams? Well, I would have to go with Carson just because, you know, we want to, you know, he, he can take over that game early and get Purdue a big lead and they can and they can roll from there. And, you know, Purdue's in a situation now where they've got five games left, and every single one of them is as important as game as they're going to play the rest of the season because we all want this Big Ten championship. And the Boilers are going to be in a position, especially if Michigan State and Michigan split on each other's home court. Um, you know, if they can win these last five games, they're going to be an outright Big Ten champion. And I think that's going to be absolutely huge to this fan base. Who you know at six and five when we you know I remember talking to fans between the intermission between the Notre Dame game and the start of the IU uh, Butler game that day, there were fans talking about will this team 
win one or two more games during the course of the season. That's how bad they looked in December. And for them to win a Big Ten championship would be absolutely huge for the Boilermaker fans. Well, you know, to your point there about Carson, uh, 27 points on 8 of 16 shooting last time they took on Nebraska. That was a 19-point win. But for me, I think I go on the other side of that coin. I think I go with Williams because you're worried about a little bit of a freshman wall. And on top of that, I know what I'm getting out of Carson Edwards. I, Carson's going to be there. I'm not worried about him right now. I need a, a much larger sample size of him having trouble scoring than just that one game because I think he can have an off night. But Travian, on the other hand, like I said, it's been a couple of weeks since he's put up double digits on the points there. Um, I Again, I understand the fouls. I understand the illness. But you want to you want him to rediscover that feeling of what it's like. And that also means it's been about four or five games there, too, where they haven't really been getting used to working the ball through Travian down low. That's where this team really started to excel was when he came through, and then they started getting him the ball on the inside and working it through there. Now they haven't played those games as of late, and I'm worried that uh, they're going to look less and less into the paint at him because they just haven't been doing it lately. And let's see how this plays out because, you know, that strep throat that he had hit a week ago Thursday, and so he battled it into the Penn State game. You know, Matt played him just in case they needed him the second half. They didn't need him the second half against Penn State. Um you know, you would like to see him play. You know, he was productive when he was in the IU game. I mean, he had a couple mm-hmm. baskets, uh, you know, picked up a couple fouls. Um, you know, that kind of illness, is, as people know, I mean, you know, it can really drain you. And especially someone who's putting so much effort into their diet and so much effort into their um, their strength and conditioning that he's putting in. Let's see how he rebounds. And our, our goal, do we need him tomorrow? Maybe, maybe not. We need to make sure he's healthy and ready when we need him, say, against maybe Illinois Tuesday night with with, with way, you know, their center's playing right now. I mean, so. Oh, here. you're not going to go into the pronunciations just yet, are you? It, what is it? Giorgio? Is that, it's right. Georgie, right? Georgie? <laughs> Georgie. Georgie Porgy. That's Georgie. what you call him? Yeah, that's what we're yeah, calling until, him. Yeah, until he dominates the heck. Then we're going to have to learn the name, aren't we? I see. Okay, but, I mean, I, I think you need to get him going for those huge games, and obviously you need him ready for the Big Ten tournament. All right, uh, let's go ahead and uh, tap into the Wings Etc. Hammerhead Hotline, and we bring in Alan Karpik from goldenblack.com. He is our guest. Uh, if you're not reading goldenblack.com, I don't know what to do for you because it's got the most up-to-date information, great in-depth analysis, uh, and especially with spring football coming back around, Alan. I'm sure uh, yourself and Brian Newbert and Tom Deanhart, you guys will be busy, won't you? Yeah, it's it's a busy time, and uh, it's a, another one of our, our convergences, I guess, with spring ball and 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 obviously the end of uh, what well, the beginning of the end, I should say, of the college basketball season. If you're a Purdue fan, or if you're you hope it, it's kind of like Groundhog Day, you hope it goes on at least another six weeks. So uh, <laughs> if you're Purdue, but that that is a uh, that's part of the fun of doing this, and uh, the good thing is, at least in our business, is that uh, there's excitement in both. You know, obviously spring ball. With Jeff Brom's crew, and then uh, and then Matt Painter's team, it will be very interesting to see how this all plays out. Well, uh, well, let's take a look at this basketball squad as they get ready to head into uh, Nebraska here on Saturday. And uh, you got a chance when you come out of the weekend here of uh, being one of uh, just two teams with three losses uh, when we start out on Monday. Of course, because Michigan and Michigan State are playing each other, but uh, you don't control that one. You do control the game in Lincoln. Uh, what is your take on uh, this matchup against the Cornhuskers? Are, I mean, do you think that these guys are? I mean, are, are they still in it? Do they feel you get that feeling that they're still playing, like they might uh, make the tournament, even though I really don't think they're going to? 
Well, I, I think right now as it stands, uh, Northwest or Northwestern Nebraska's got to, you know, it's going to have to win its way into the tournament. I mean, it'd have to go on a long run and probably at least get to the finals of the Big Ten tournament uh, to get enough wins, in my view. You know, the things you think about Nebraska that uh, back to the first week of January, and they were certainly a team that was penciled to make the tournament, and it just has has fallen apart for Tim Miles and company. I think. But that doesn't make them any less dangerous. Uh, you don't know where they are mentally, you would think, uh, a little bit like Indiana, that if you could get them down uh, from the front end, that it would give you an opportunity to keep them down and you might have an easy win. But uh, never seems to work that way for Purdue. And, and so, and so it, you, you know from seeing the, the Cornhuskers come into Mackey Arena a couple of weeks ago that uh, this is a team that competed against Purdue for at least 32 minutes. It was a, it was a game that was in doubt. Uh, it was close at halftime. They obviously have guys, uh, uh, you know, have a, have a big time score up front and James Palmer, not having his greatest season, maybe as he'd hope, but averaging 19 points a game. Thomas Allen is still shooting threes, I think, uh, based on his game at Mackey where I think he hit four or five. So these are all things that Purdue has to be able to, you know, consider. They just have to get their – they have to play, uh, as we've talked before, uh, Purdue's best when it's efficient, and it has to be able to return offensively from a, not even a subpar, just a, a really a god-awful performance offensively against Indiana. And really for much of the last three games, to be honest. And, Alan, it seems like the beat goes on. I mean, the other night we play Indiana, who was a desperate team who needed to win some games to get in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I saw some things this week that said if Nebraska could win their last home, their last games, that they could be uh, one of the last four teams in. So, <laughs> look at, we, oh, come on. Like, they're going to beat four ranked teams in a row. We've seen this team. Come on. So, I mean, well, but, my point yeah, is, I mean, I mean I, again, yeah, another yeah. desperate team who has a great home crowd and, uh, and ready to try to get a marquee victory over the Boilermakers. Yeah, I think you'd be, you know, you just can't in college basketball look at what they did at Penn State and say, oh, they're done. Yeah, because it's just a, you let them get their head up. You're right. They're cynical. You know, they have, they get great crowds uh, consistently. There's nothing like Nebraska fans in terms of loyalty, I don't think, especially in football. But it's really been amazing to me how well they've sold it. Uh, I know they have a relatively new facility, not all that new, but new enough. And they're used to going to games and supporting their team. So uh, their backs are against the wall. they got a head coach that's under fire and Tim Miles, who made some uh, off-the-wall – he's an off-the-wall guy, as we all know, but he, he kind of was trying to be funny earlier in the week on a podcast talking about, well, if he gets fired, he'll still be a millionaire. That's a true statement. Uh, I don't think that the, – they're just off-the-wall and, and he's just a little bit unpredictable – and they can score. They, are, they have shown some ability to do that if they get hot. So Purdue just has to go in and, and, again, play. You know, Penn State, they had the turnovers. At Indiana, they just couldn't throw the ball in the ocean, literally. And that uh, those things need to change. You know, you can't – Carson Edwards uh, at 4 for 24. Uh, that's – you hope there's a complete outlier. You have to hope he gets back to, to some level of decency uh, shooting the basketball. And if that happens, I think Purdue will be fine. But you'll have a nervous moment or two come Saturday afternoon. You can almost bet on that uh, in a game uh, where people are going to think you're supposed to win. Alan Karpik with us from goldenblack.com. Alan, uh, you are a great historian when it comes to Purdue basketball. So uh, answer me this. How many times has an athletic director apologized to another athletic director due to a basketball (laughs) game incident in this rivalry? 
Well, you know, it, it, it brings up a good story, an interesting story of uh, back to the Bob Knight, Gene Cady era, and uh, and Bob Knight uh, bringing a donkey on on his coach's show. Mm-hmm. And you can look it up. The Athletic wrote a call, wrote a story this week about that, but we also have done that in the past. My point is, and, and there was no apology between uh, George King, and, and I'm not sure. Uh, I'm trying to draw on a blank who the Indiana athletic athletic director was at the time. Bob Knight. But my point is, it somewhat <laughs> rare, what, somewhat rare that that happened uh, between Indiana and Purdue, uh, and I think that that's somewhat uh, telling of a not a good incident. Uh, certainly with Matt Harms, uh, th- there are things that Purdue fans do that uh, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, of the chant that the IU chant that goes on in Mackey Arena. But I'm an old man. I just don't particularly care for it, but it's something that's not going to change. But Indiana, for whatever reason, Matt Harms kind of took it up a notch, so to speak, and uh, not in good taste in any way, shape, or form. And and uh, I don't know the coincidence or irony, I guess, that uh, that uh, Matt Harms gets the tip in to win the game. You know, Matt Harms is an excitable guy. He's an easy target because of his size, but also his hair flip. Other opposing fans love to get on him, but and at least this time he had the last laugh. Well, you also wonder, you know, how much sincerity there was in that apology because obviously I think if if uh, Glass wanted to stop that, he had more than the opportunities to do that. But when he sets behind the PA announcer for IU, and not to mention he was there also ridiculing the refs because I think that was a game that he really, really wanted to try to get the uh, IU fan base off of uh, his case there and maybe give him another week or two uh, uh, as they try to win a few more ball games down in Bloomington. Well, I've been to games in, in, in the history of Mackey Arena a long, long time ago. Produced in 1970, Purdue, Iowa, the great Rick Mountain game. He scored 61 points in a 108 107 Iowa victory. George King took the, uh, the Purdue coach, took the PA. And uh, Purdue actually had a technical call in its crowd. Uh, it was, you know, there's always been stories as urban legend that came from the Iowa section. I don't know if that happened. My point is exactly what you said, Jeff. That is that. Uh, I would think that uh, if that kind of stuff came on at, at Purdue, that uh, Matt Painter or somebody might take the mic and say, shut, shut this stuff down. But uh, I don't know the whole situation in Indiana, but I do think that uh, – I'm just not a big fan of that kind of stuff. I think when you get personal, uh, it gets too much. At least the Purdue's chant is not, not uh, uh, directed at one individual – I just think that the, in this in this combative world that we live in, we don't need that anymore. This it's, it's an intense enough rivalry as it is, uh, but uh, it is what it is. And I thought Matt Painter said earlier this week uh, about you know we need to take care of ourselves, and that is a true thing. I don't think Matt Painter spent more than ten seconds thinking about what uh, Indiana fans were yelling at him. He's he's got plenty to worry about uh, with the remaining games of his home schedule, home and road schedule. See, the other thing for me, too, Alan, was I think we all woke up on Wednesday, and I don't think we thought too much about it. I mean, it was serendipitous yeah. that, you know, Matt puts it back in there on the tip end, but I think after that, we were we were done with it, and now all of a sudden, it's got all these legs. If anything, he shouldn't have put out the letter to the students or anything like that, because I, it gave it a whole new light, and it's got the fans on him even more. No, Alan Henderson got at him for the article yep. that was in the Star and everything. I can't believe I'm saying this, but maybe this is an actual time where you shouldn't have apologized, or at least not let it go publicly like that. Yeah, that maybe it may have been the case. You know, you never know the best way to handle handle these kind of things. There, there's there's some uh, upset folks at Indiana also because their team's not winning, and uh, that that that's another thing. But I do remember even in days of Bob Knight uh, when when IU fans uh, acted up, Bob Knight had thought nothing of. 
getting going in front of the student section uh, and or getting on the PA and doing stuff as well. Uh, and I'm not, you know, it's a different world now. And I, and I get that Archie Miller, I'm not saying that Archie Miller needs to do it. He may not, you know, Matt Painter said he didn't hear it. So it may not have been as audible on the court side as it was, uh, you know, these coaches are, are, in a, are got other things to worry about during the course of the game. But yeah, it, it can tend to have a life of its own. And uh, it is a direct reflection or correlation, I would say, uh, where Indiana is right now, because they're, they're, the program's uh, struggling, at least temporarily. And it's been a disappointing year, and, and this is just another disappointing thing that's going on uh, down in Assembly Hall. Al Karpik of GoldenBlack.com, always on with us on the uh, Boilermaker Basketball Show. Buddy, we always appreciate you being on here. Thank you so much, man. All right, guys. Have a great rest of the show. Thank uh, you. Thanks, Al. So our thanks to Alan Karpik, uh, who chimed in there from GoldenBlack.com, got us some uh, perspective on this uh, Nebraska game. And we kind of started to touch on it, too. Uh, it's the, uh, the apology that came out of uh, Fred Glass and IU this week uh, from Tuesday's game. Uh, the issue that we had on our shows, uh, the, the daily shows, were the fact that when he puts the apology out, essentially, he calls Mike Bobinski up, and then he puts out the, uh, the email to the student season ticket holders and doesn't name Matt Harms. At no point does anybody name Matt Harms in this process, as far as we're aware of, which is kind of why directed at a, quote, specific player. You would think if you're in on the apologies and you think this is embarrassing, you would at least apologize to the kid. Now, maybe when he called Mike Bobinski, he said, would you please pass our apologies on to Matt Harms? That's probably, I mean, that could have happened and we don't know about it. But if you're going to leak that you called Mike Bobinski, because I doubt Mike Bobinski leaked that to the to the star, right? So if you're going to leak that, you'd think you'd at least leak the fact, too, that you also apologized to the kid whose name they were chanting at, right? I think he was trying to make a balance there. I mean, he, he didn't want to tick off his IU fan base. Um, but at the same time, he realized, and, and who knows if the Big Ten didn't even make a phone call well, to if him. If you want to do what's so. right, then do what's right. Because there's a cost when you do things. It's not easy. Minute, That's why Jared. it's the right thing. You're talking about IU here, okay. Well, so. I'm going to cut him a little bit of slack on that, though. But, I mean, if you're going to try to make amends and do the proper thing, then do the proper thing. Don't, don't half-ass that. You do it that way if you're trying to be – uh, politically correct, and you're trying to to appease your fan base. Just by apologizing saying, to begin with, you're upsetting your fan base. So you might as well just go ahead and do it, and just you're going to take the brunt of it anyway. Just take it. That's true, but at the same time, you know he he got the the message across to his fan base, and if the Big Ten directed him to make the, you know who knows maybe the Big Ten directed him to make this apology. I, my theory so. was that they think he's Beetlejuice. If you say his name three times, he appears and he tips another ball in at Assembly Hall. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe it's a fear thing. I don't know. But it's all rather foolish, and at the end of the day, we got three days out of a story that really I don't think Purdue fans were were even <laughs> expecting. Did you uh, did you wake up on Wednesday feeling like man, there should really be some kind of statement about that? No, no. You know, I think the Purdue fans woke up just glad they won the ball game and yeah. moved on, and 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 then it became a big story because of the fact that that. Uh, but you know, it was kind of a dramatic thing. I mean, they were on his case the entire game, and and. Guess what? He uh, has the last laugh by tipping in the game-winning shot to beat him. I mean, it couldn't end any worse for an IU fan if you're ch- they're chanting that obscenity for two hours and all of a sudden that mortal enemy of yours uh, comes back to defeat you. I feel if you were a maybe a parent that brought a younger child into that game, perhaps I feel I, I feel a little bit bad because it's not a good it's not good for you know the younger fans to hear. Uh, but after the game, you know, Matt Harms was talking about it. Did Matt Harms go, man, I was really offended. I was really upset by why, what I heard. 
Like, I didn't hear that from him at all. Well, during his, his post-game press conference, he said it, it, it did get to him, you know, and he was, I think it motivated him to play better. So I think, you know, obviously it had to, but you're right. I mean, I've been going to a, a lot of, um, a lot of Purdue IU basketball games at, at, at Mackey, and I've never heard anything like that from a vicinity standpoint by the uh, the Boilermaker fans towards IU. All right, well, let's go to the Wings and Center Hammerhead Hotline. Let's talk to our boy here, Nate Barrett. If there's anybody with his uh, finger on the pulse of Boilermaker Nation and what fans think, it's Nate Barrett. Uh, Nate, your, uh, your your general thoughts on the fact that this uh, that the chant has turned into an apology, which has turned into like a three-day-long story about I don't even know anymore. Well, so the the thing got even more interesting uh, for me the next night when uh, when Tom Crean and the seven o'clock game on ESPN hit when he had to grab the microphone uh, and coaches used to do that and and so there's a whole piece of that that uh, so did Crean did Crean. Yeah, watching that what didn't happen at IU the night before, uh, did that figure into him or would he have done it anyway? I think I'm sure he probably would say he would have done it anyway, but it was just interesting that you know, IU apologized afterwards, but uh, nobody says anything during the game. And then uh, Crean, the old IU coach, uh, pulls the mic uh, the next night. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, well, I think the whole reason he did that, I mean, we know why he did that, but I think the the leading factor for him pulling the mic was he was so upset because they were about to knock off an NCAA tournament team at home there, and they desperately right. needed a good win. I think he's right, more upset right. about losing in that fashion. Which, <laughs> right. which, if I'm an official, by the way, and you see that stuffed animal being thrown on the court, that in no way influenced that free throw that that young man took. That ball was already away. It's behind him. It's not in his peripheral. I know, but I, it's the only I mean, it's it's the only mechanism they have. To try to keep control on the situation, and so and, you know, so they—that's uh, what's to stop you know, me they, from getting a ticket, going down to Lincoln, and just teddy bear tossing every time somebody misses a free throw. <laughs> then you know what I'm yeah, saying? It, it, you'd even go all out and probably buy a, a t-shirt, wouldn't you? Now, you'd buy now, a home Nate, team t-shirt. <laughs> Nate, we just sent over a shipment of, of Gophers and Wildcats. We need you to go to yeah. Minnesota and to Northwestern, <laughs> and just in case, be prepared uh, to chuck those on the court. Maybe for double, yeah, maybe no, a ream of paper too, paper airplane. If you got some good distance on those, Nate, we'd no, appreciate no, that. No, no chance now, you little Roger Stones. No, no <laughs> chance. Uh, we're not. We're not doing any dirty tricks here. There's oh. no. There's no sabotage. Uh, but if it gets down to that, we're gonna. They'll be uh, doing more of these uh, what private games like they do at the beginning of the season with no fans <laughs> or media. Plus, plus one for historical slash current event uh, mention there for uh, for <laughs> Nate Barrett. We appreciate that. So Nate, it's it's been a while since we've had you on the show here, but um, you know this Purdue team has really been on a roll, been doing good. I, I think you take Tuesday night's game and the shooting performance is just kind of an anomaly type deal. That's not indicative of what this team is. I think. Uh, but if they come out there and they seem a little flat against Nebraska on Saturday, are you a little worried? Well, uh, you know, I think a couple of thoughts on that, uh, that I liked how Matt Painter defended Carson Edwards, you know, in, in his post game to saying, you know, he's our guy. And I think there were some fans like, uh, you know, down the stretch, okay, here's Carson with another late jumper and misses and harms gets a tip in. But at some point, the old adage, you've all both heard it is you, you dance with the one who brought you in. And I think fans, you talk about my pulse of the fans, 
uh, this fan base has a Brett Favre kind of feeling with with Carson Edwards that you know he's going to absolutely make you sometimes, and then there are times when you know he just breaks your heart with some of the shot selection, and that's just part of it. But at the end of the day, uh, you have to put the ball in your in his hands, and and that's just who this team is, and uh, and so I don't you know fault that at all, and and I think. The the thing that's a challenge down the stretch, and and you've heard a lot of uh, Matt and others talk about, it, is you're into the back half of the schedule, so everybody's seen each other uh, once, and so they're going to defend him differently. I think also, you know, teams know that they can do some things to try to uh, mess him up physically. If you're scouting against Carson, what you want to do is try to, you know, be physical with him, but not foul, but get him frustrated because he has shown. Uh, in, in past games that he'll go to the ref and complain and, and that in and of itself is showing that you're getting to him mentally so our team's going to be more physical with him and they're going to try to do some different things in the back half of the Big Ten to frustrate him of course and so his great challenge is to play on through that to I think he is be, has become I think you would both agree a better passer as the season's gone on and and found the open man and I think he'll get better at that but uh, there's going to be opportunities for him to just find the open man uh, and make those guys be more of a threat so that he can get open because if he just tries to come down and force a shot because he's frustrated, uh, that can lead to long rebounds and it can play right into the opponent's hands. And Nate, that's a great point you bring up. I mean, who scored the uh, tying basket at Penn State to put that game into overtime and, and those four crucial points that he had uh, down the stretch against Indiana you know, played a, cru- a crucial role in the Boilermakers winning that games uh, last Tuesday. So he is so clutch when we need him. Well, it's like Jared's wife. You know, he gets frustrated with her sometimes. But <laughs> but at the end of the day, he knows she's the best. And and that's the way it is. That's wow. that's because he outkicked his coverage. Yeah, listen, <laughs> that's it, right. <laughs> it's Friday. Would you not throw me under the bus for Pete's sakes? You know, that yes. that's the deal. You you do. you that That old cliche is so... Such an old one, but it's true for a reason. I mean, you, at this point in the season, it's not like you're you're going to sit him down and say, "Well, he's he's four for twenty three. Let's go with Eric Hunter. Eric's going to come along, but it's not his his time yet to to be the full time trigger man." And uh, and you just every team has that guy, and he's your guy. And and it's clear that Matt certainly believes that, and and he should. And so um, he could go off for 36 and make you or 40 like he did at Texas. But what got him beat at Texas uh, wasn't his 40. It was that they were able to shut everybody else down. The, the, the key is to keep Klein in the mix. You know, Klein hit a big three for you down the stretch and, and to get guys like Aaron Wheeler to continue to hit shots to get Sasha to hit shots for no gel to penetrate and get to the line. I, I think the thing I'd like to see guys down the stretch here We've seen some games where, you know, no gel's done 10 and 10 and, and getting no gel to the foul line since he's shooting better now. I saw Cliz this morning. I think he's up to 68%. If you can get no gel to the line, that creates some other problems uh, defensively. And you got to continue to get great effort out of Harms, who has had a very interesting season. We know we've talked to death the whole Travion Harms stuff, but, but Matt, uh, he found a way to help Purdue get it done the other night. And if he can be big for you down the stretch, uh, a lot of good things are going to happen. By the way, uh, before we let you go, I do know uh, Larry Clisby's birthday was just uh, earlier this week. So what, what do you get the uh, man who uh, has already got everything? I, I think Clis would tell you uh, 
uh, all he wants is uh, another Big Ten championship ring. And because uh, I don't think I think he, along with everybody else, didn't expect to get one uh, this year after losing four seniors. But they're in a position to, if they play well down the stretch here to do it, which is an amazing thing. And so I, I think Cliz would say, you know, get me another Big Ten ring and and get me into the tournaments. Let's see what these guys can do, and maybe if the chips fall right, they can make a deep run. And he's just really enjoying life and and enjoying all of his friendships. And I think he's as surprised as anybody at, at what they've been able after being six and five to put together. So the same thing your wife wants on her birthday: jewelry. I got it. Okay, fair enough. That's right. We all want jewelry. A little bling. <laughs> Nate Barrett. Hey, buddy. We always appreciate it. We'll uh, catch back up with you again soon. All right. Have a great week, guys. Take care, bud. All right, big thanks to uh, Nate Bear there for uh, calling in. We miss Nate. We haven't had him on the show in a while. I know. We haven't talked to him for weeks. So it was so he's great. Over in he's in Florida. He's doing trade show. He's got all. He's got a legitimate life outside of us. It's we need just to go through his agent from now on. Tell you what, yeah, we need to. We need to get one of those uh, Adidas money guys or something like that. <laughs> Start filtering the money to him. All right, so uh, now is the uh, time on the show where we'd like to take a look at the Big Ten standings as a whole and take a look and see what's on tap this week and what you can expect. Right now, as the uh, standings sit here this morning, it's uh, Michigan and Michigan State tied at 13-3. and Purdue a half game back at 12-3. and Then a little bit of a drop-off to Maryland, who's at 11-5. and Wisconsin at 10-5. and Iowa at 9-6. and Then it's Iowa, uh, Ohio State at 7-8. and Minnesota 7-9. Illinois at 6-9. and Nebraska Rutgers at 5-11. and Indiana at 4-11. and Northwestern and Penn State both at three and twelve. So it begins to be get begins to get more interesting when we start thinking about the Big Ten tournament and those uh, first uh, four uh, double buys and the bottom four having to play on Wednesdays. Uh, still very in doubt with uh, several teams here. I think you pencil Michigan, Michigan State, and Purdue in on those top three spots and in no particular order. But who gets that fourth spot? Is it Maryland at eleven five? Wisconsin, who's sitting at 10-5, and five. and then Iowa is uh, only a game out of there as well. I mean, certainly they have a chance to uh, to say something about that, and especially when you look at the uh, schedule they have left. They still have one against Wisconsin to uh, try to claw their way back in there and uh, make something happen. And Wisconsin has a very favorable schedule down the stretch, so on paper you might think they may be able to get in that four slot and uh, and get that, buy, that double buy, but... Uh, you know, who would have thought that you may have Nebraska, IU, and Northwestern playing on uh, the first day of the Big Ten tournament? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's crazy. But uh, I know Iowa's got a pretty favorable schedule as well with Indiana, Ohio State, Rutgers, uh, at Wisconsin, and at Nebraska. Uh, to me, it's going to be what does Maryland do down the stretch? And uh, they've got one tough one, and then they've got three manageable, uh, at least two manageable ones, a really tough one, and one that can go – you know, either way, uh, with Minnesota at home to end the season. But they also get a home game against Michigan, uh, Ohio State, and Penn State. So I think Maryland is probably best suited to get that fourth spot, but I wouldn't pencil it in just yet. Uh, Wisconsin and Iowa can still make a move here if uh, Maryland uh, has a uh, misstep. And, of course, Wisconsin just has to play one extra game. And then I'm not really sure how the uh, tiebreaker works with Maryland and Wisconsin right now. Well, what they do is they revert to the first number one seed and how they did against them, and then it goes down to the second seed, et cetera. So, you know, how important is it going to be to get that fourth seed in the tournament? Because, you know, as competitive as this tournament's going to be, you certainly don't want to have to play on Thursday. And you take a look at the bottom part, where you can probably pencil in Penn State Northwestern at 3-12, and 12, Indiana at 4-11 and 11 there, 
Uh, you got Rutgers at five and eleven, and Nebraska at five and eleven. You figure, you know, Purdue beats Nebraska. They sit. They continue to sit at five wins. Rutgers, on the other hand, has still got uh, a game against Minnesota, Iowa, Penn State, and Indiana. Uh, Indiana has still got uh, what? Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan State. You don't see them winning those three games. Then they got to go to Illinois. It may come down to uh, that last game, uh, Indiana and Rutgers, what happens there. And then Nebraska, we know what their schedule's like. I mean, it's very interesting. The middle, not so much. But the extremes here are kind of interesting to see what happens. They are. And with Rutgers, you never know. I mean, they seem to be like in every game they play. You know, they were, they led at Michigan State the other night at halftime. And so, you know, I, I think Rutgers will move out of that bottom four just because they're playing better basketball than the rest of those bottom four teams. Well, let's take a look at this week's uh, schedule for tonight on uh, Friday night. It's Indiana at 21-ranked Iowa. That game at Carver Hawkeye. Indiana, of course, coming off the loss on Tuesday. Iowa's been playing uh, pretty decently, very quietly didn't play decently. Now they had that rough loss to Maryland at home. Uh, they had a shot at it, two shots at it there at the end. Bruno Fernando had that tip in, uh, and then uh, they just couldn't come back and uh, make it happen. You know, I think if Iowa is down by one or two with three seconds to go, they'll have Indiana exactly where they want them to be based <laughs> upon their last few games. So. But uh, they have won four out of their last five, so uh, Iowa uh, definitely a team to watch out for. Uh, then we move to Saturday. A lot of movement coming to the rankings on Saturday with Penn State at Illinois. Ohio State goes to Maryland at 2 p.m. on ESPN. Purdue at Nebraska, 4 p.m. And then that's on BTN, followed uh, by Wisconsin at Northwestern at 8.30 on BTN. Some intriguing matchups here when it comes to those top four spots. Yeah, I think your best game might be that Penn State-Illinois game. Those two teams are playing really, really well right now. And, uh, you know, that'll be a fun game to watch as you watch that game before the Boilermakers at 4 o'clock. So, uh, uh Again, Illinois that, coming to Mackey on Tuesday night. That's going to be a, a fun game to see uh, to see how that Illinois squad uh, performs at Mackey, and and the Boilermakers need to find their offense before Tuesday night. So, I'll be Wednesday interested to see what Ohio State does against Maryland. I don't expect them to win that one, but I don't know, something there, there's something in the back of my mind that thinks that that could be slightly more intriguing than we might think. Move on to Sunday. It's Michigan State at Michigan, 345 on CBS. But you can actually hear that game on 1017, the Hammer, starting at 330. And that's the one that everybody here in West Lafayette has got their eye on. You know, and I don't know who I'm rooting for in that game, simply because when I looked at this before Nick Ward went down, I thought that that Michigan State didn't look like they had very many losses on their schedule. Um, But they are a completely different team without Nick Ward. The other night, uh, you know, watching them play against Rutgers, Goins is, is making a living beyond the three-point line, and they were able to guard him the other night because you don't have to guard the presence with Tillman underneath the basket. So, uh, And yet Michigan looked pretty good against Minnesota last night. So I think from the Boilermaker standpoint, you probably need to have Michigan win that game and then lose at Maryland, and then uh, you know, then you can then if we need that Michigan-Michigan State game at the end of the season, then we can figure out who we would like to have that game uh, go for. Michigan undefeated. At home this season, I'm not picking against that. <laughs> One of two teams in the conference, them and the Boilermakers. Minnesota and Rutgers uh, is the evening game, 6.30 on BTN. As uh, we continue to move through the slate here, uh, no games on Monday. Tuesday, though, 21st-ranked Iowa at Ohio State. Uh, 22nd-ranked Wisconsin is at Indiana. You expect uh, both the road teams to win in that one, don't you? I would, but, you know, again, I, IU, tough place to play. What do they have left in the tank if they lose big to Iowa tonight? So, uh 
We'll see if they give that effort they did against the Boilermakers. Wednesday, Maryland at Penn State. Illinois comes to West Lafayette. And then Thursday, it's Nebraska at Michigan and Minnesota at Northwestern. And uh, that wraps it up. Hey, we want to thank you guys for listening to the Boiler Basketball Show today. Thanks to Nate Barron and Alec Karpik for being on the program. We always enjoy having them. Make sure you download the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And then we'll be back next week, hopefully talking about two big Boilermaker wins on the Boiler Basketball Show on 1017 The Hammer, 1017thehammer.com.